Get to the church, blind! Get to the church, blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plan. Hey guys, Peyton Jones here. Welcome to Hardcore Church Planting. Uh, Those of you in the trenches, uh, sweating away, um, giving your blood, sweat, and tears, today we have a guest for you I think you're going to like. It's Chuck Tate. He is the founder and lead pastor of Rock Church, and that is in the heart of Illinois. He is also an author. Um, I remember years ago coming up with a title. Uh, actually, my 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 founder co-founder of the network that I I founded years ago called New Breed. He came up with a title called Why Plan a Church When You Can Hit Yourself Repeatedly in the Head with a Hammer, and that was the name of the. <laughs> The conference topic. Well, Chuck has written a book, Chuck Tate. He's written a book called 41 Will Come, holding on when life gets tough and standing strong until a new day dawns. Chuck, welcome on to the show. Hey, so much, man. It's an absolute honor to hang with you guys today. Good, man. Well, hey, you know, Chuck, what we like to do before we uh, get into any um, you know, uh, anything about the book. And I, I believe this will have special relevance to our church planners and you yourself being a church planner. That's always a help. Um, tell us a little bit about how you came to faith. Sure. Well, I pretty much came out of the womb saved almost. I was fortunate to like John the Baptist. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was raised in a Christian home surrounded by ministry. My dad was a missionary evangelist, and throughout my younger years, he, he pastored a couple of churches. And um, so, yeah, I was just, uh, I, I really gave my, my heart to Christ as, as, a, as a kid, had an encounter with the Holy Spirit when I was 10 at, at a youth camp. And, um, you know, I've had my share of mistakes, but pretty much been serving God uh, most of my life. That's kind of my story. It's kind of boring, but that's, that's, that's what it is. <laughs> it's my story. It's not a good story. It's not an ex- exciting story. But it's my story. That's you got to There you go. Got to do it like there that. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, man, but hey, you know, you do have an exciting story as far as church planning. Tell us a little bit about uh, your experience. How did you get into church planning? Well, um, I was working for a national youth ministry in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, back in the nineties. I had I had served as a youth pastor for about five years in a couple of different states, and found myself in, in Tulsa and. The ministry that I worked for, we traveled the country hosting youth conventions all throughout the U.S. and Canada. And while I was at home on the weekends, I attended this church called Guts Church, Pastor Bill Shear. And I just loved it, man. It was this rock and roll, edgy church before churches were going contemporary. And I would attend on Sunday nights, and it was just like, man, in fact— I would tell all my friends about it. This is cool. We need something like this in the Peoria area. I didn't necessarily want to be the one to do it. I just thought it'd be really cool in the area where I was, um, where I was from. And eventually, I was, believe it or not, um, in a ministry van 
Um, driving home from Canada, we had just finished doing a youth convention with about 1,200 teenagers. I was listening to some some worship, and I just felt the Holy Spirit um, speak to me and say, hey, I want you to do it. And um, so I, I sat on that and prayed and waited for God's timing. I thought I would be a part of that ministry there for for several more years, but God released us uh, two years after that moment. And my wife and I, in our we were in our 20s, had never pastored a church. We basically took the Guts Church model, moved to Peoria, Illinois, and started with absolutely no money. But 150 people showed up at our very first service, and that was almost 19 years ago. Wow, man. That's cool. So 19 years ago. Now, you were in Peoria. Did you, by any chance, ever come across a guy by the name of Jeff Schwarzentraub? I um, I don't know Jeff, but I'm familiar with him. I have a good friend that is close with Jeff. So, um, so yeah, that's his, my cousin. Um, I'm, uh, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So, hey, isn't he in Colorado? Is he? Yeah, he's what with um, Harvest Harvest Chapel. Harvest uh, is it is it Harvest Bible Chapels Fellowship thing? Yeah, yes, yeah. Harvest Bible Chapel. In fact, is he in Colorado now? He is. Yeah, he's cool. in he's in Colorado. So uh, if I ever swing through there to see my other buddy Alan Briggs, I'll I'll see him and we'll usually grab some breakfast or something. So he's uh, all the tall jeans went to him. He's like he's almost like seven foot tall or something. He played for. Didn't he play for Illinois State or he's a quarterback? Or you probably know more about him than I do. Anyways. <laughs> oh man, I'm not even for sure, but but that's yeah. cool. No, that's cool, man. It's a small world. Just when you said Peoria, I went, I bet you know. So, anyways, hey, um, so let's get in your book, man, because uh 41 will come. I gotta admit, when um I, I read that title, I completely misread it. I was thinking you were promising church planners. Hey, don't get discouraged. There's only two people right now at your church plant, but 41 people <laughs> will come one day. Um, <laughs> hang in there, tough guy. Um, tell oh, us a little man. bit about the title and what is the what's the book about? Cool, man. Yeah, I've read well, it, but you know this is what you do yeah. on interviews. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Um, well. Oftentimes in scripture, the number 40, and there's nothing magical about it. So I just want to say it right off the bat. There's nothing, you know, um, mystical or magical about the number 41. But I believe there is some significance that's worth pointing out. For example, um, when you look at scripture, you see the number 40 a lot. And usually whether it's 40 days or 40 years, that represents a season of waiting, a season of testing, a season of trial. And then on day 41, whether it's or day 41 or year 41, that's usually the day of a breakthrough, an answered prayer, a second chance, a new beginning. So to give you some, some actual examples, in Genesis, it rained 40 days, 40 nights. The rain stopped on day 41. That's when the sun came out. You have Moses who committed murder and then hit on the backside of a desert for 40 years. 41 came. Moses received a second chance when he was commissioned by God via burning bush to be the rescuer of Israel. And then you have the children of Israel after being rescued from Egypt and going through the Red Sea on dry ground. They ended up into a wilderness for 40 years. But 41 came and a new generation entered their promised land. One of my favorite stories, really the story that the that the book um, really goes through in great detail is the story of David and Goliath. Goliath 
Israel for 40 days, begging somebody to fight him. 41 came and David slew Goliath. Um, more. Jonah went to Nineveh for 40 days to deliver a message of, of doom and gloom. Um, I'm so glad as church planters, we get to deliver good news. I'm glad we're the in a new covenant, not that old covenant. And, and that's probably why it took Jonah a couple of times to, to be obedient. But um, his task was to deliver this message that God was going to wipe out their city of more than 120,000 people because of its wickedness. But on day 41, the people repented. And the scripture says that instead of punishing them, God extended grace and mercy. In fact, one translation says that he literally changed his mind. And then um, a couple of examples in the New Testament that I'll share. Jesus fasted and prayed in the wilderness for 40 days. This is preparation to fulfill what he came from heaven to earth to do. The enemy tried to tempt him and knock him out before he could even begin. But 41 came. Jesus spoke the word. The devil fled. Angels showed up. And Jesus launched his epic ministry. And then one last example. After Jesus fulfilled his ministry and went to the cross and was resurrected from the grave, he appeared to his disciples for guess how many days? Peyton, 40 days. And no way. Them. I did not guess that, but that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, 41 came and the Holy Spirit showed up. The disciples were empowered. Peter got up with boldness, preached the first message. 3,000 people responded. And that's how the church was birthed. And here more than 2,000 years later, the church is still growing, still going strong. So the message of the book is whether you're in a season um, of, of waiting, whether you are in a wilderness in need of a second chance, perhaps perhaps there's a giant standing between you and your church plan or a giant standing between you and your dream come true. Don't quit because 41 will come. Very, very cool. And that's important because I think, you know, you, you mentioned some 40s there and I'm in my 40s. I mean, age wise, that's good. You two saying 40, but you gave me some secret, uh, 40s there. Some ones I hadn't even thought about, like Goliath. Um, never even knew that, but, um, you know, this is a significant number, obviously in scripture having to do with waiting. So I, you know, you and I were just chatting a little bit before the interview and, um, I was saying that for me, I can remember church planting and and being uh, really aware that at any moment my church could implode on me. Like, just, just you know, it, at other times I remember showing up one Sunday morning and nobody was there, and I I drove back home and sat on my sofa and said, "God, this sucks. I'm not doing this anymore." Um, <laughs> I was mad. I was like. <laughs> Where is everybody? Why am I doing this? And, and so, you know, I can remember at times feeling like I'm wandering around lost in the wilderness. And I think in ministry, you get used to that feeling of not having all of the answers of, you know, kind of like, Hey, smile, stupid. It's supposed to suck. Like there's times where it's just, this is the norm and we don't hear this. So having a book that promises 41 is awesome, but what's your message? So, so that's your message. You're in the forties. What, what about the 40 year, day, hour, second, whatever it is, those 40 time spans that we go through? What, what, what do, what do people feel? What have you experienced? And what do you say to people in that? Sure. Well, I think there's a number of things that we need to do. In fact, throughout the book, I, I, 
I share seven keys to help people hold on and stand strong. And, and before I go through those, let me just say, you know, sometimes when our 41 comes, it looks different than what we originally thought it would, would look like. Of course, that's obviously true in, in church planning. It's so easy to, to get discouraged if all we do is um, scroll through our Instagram feed and look at all the successful mega churches and see what they're doing. It's We have to be careful not to compare ourselves to them, but to do what God is asking us to do. And we know that's not easy. I mean, the church that I planted, we were mobile for nine years. If, if I had known in week one that we wouldn't get our own facility until year nine, I probably would have quit before I began. No, but it was during those nine years that God was working on my heart and getting me to that place that that mm-hmm. I needed to be in, in teaching me patience, a lot of patience and endurance. Did I say patience? Um, all those mm-hmm. all those things. And there are some things that that we can do during the waiting, during the wilderness um, period. And and obviously, the, I think the number one is to develop a mindset that you're not going to quit no matter what. If you know you're called by God to do it. It's good. Don't quit until he closes that door. And to do that, we're going to have to um, obviously know who our enemy is, um, know that our enemy is not flesh. It's so easy. I think when you're church planning and you're pastoring, you can attach the enemy to people. Yep. And obviously yep. we know that people are influenced by the enemy, Peyton, but they're they're not the enemy. And we just got to yeah. focus, focus on our vision and what <laughs> God has placed in our heart and what God is asking us to do in, in our church. And that doesn't mean we're called to be, you know, um, Elevation Church. That doesn't mean we're called to be Lakewood. You know, who, who we need to know our identity and know what our vision is so we can pick it up and run with it. Yeah, that's, that's so good, man. And, and it's funny, you bring up something that I, I've noticed a, a trend in ministers. Maybe we're all prima donnas and, and think we're we're uh, undiscovered rock stars, but we always think that the enemy's using them <laughs> you know, against yeah. me. So, so church planners, everyone who disagrees with you is not being used by the enemy. Just, you know, maybe your 40 years of wandering in the wilderness has forgot to kind of teach you that. But, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, you, you have a story. First off, you got great stories in this book. I, we were talking before my favorite story is about one of the evangelists you served with, um, his son, at Disneyland or, you know, I don't remember what theme park it was, but he went to the Indiana Jones ride and was excited and jumped off a planter, landed right on his knee. And you guys are like, ouch. And then, uh, you said, wow, you handled that as, cause you know, the tears were forming in his eyes and you guys are like, wow, you're as tough as Indiana Jones. And he goes, tougher, <laughs> you know, through gritted <laughs> teeth and, you know, like a little, little dude not going to cry, but he's, you know, he's going to hold it together like Indiana. But, uh, but, but you tell a story about an incident that occurred when you served as a chaplain for a professional arena football team. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, well, and this is really, this, this story is how the book came to be because prior to this moment, 41 will come was just a sermon that I preached. I'm, we're talking way, I'm in my forties too. So way back in the day, I don't know if you remember the, the worship band harvest, 
Um, they had a, I had a cassette tape. That's how long ago it was. And um, it was called 41 Will Come. The title track was called 41 Will Come. And that's where I sat down as a young youth pastor and said, man, this would be a cool sermon. And I began to just explore all the 40s and the 41s in Scripture. And I put together this sermon, and it became a life message. So fast forward then to me serving as a chaplain of an arena football team. It was our inaugural season, and I ended up serving in that capacity for seven seasons. But in year one, um, it was playing Peoria. It was exciting. It's, you know, it's like tackle hockey. It's just just awesome, man. People were coming out, and we made it to playoffs. And um, our whole city was, was buzzing. So uh, we won our playoff game. We ended up in the semifinal playoffs. And so this is the game where, hey, you know, go big or go home. You win and you make it to the Super Bowl of indoor football. So I decided to teach this message. And as chaplain, I had basically 15 minutes before every home game. So just like I had all season long, 15 minutes, those who wanted to come to chapel showed up and, you know, we met in a room, you know, below the field and, you know, near the tunnel. And I just shared this message that I shared. I gave the same examples that I shared earlier on this podcast with with the team. And I was talking about their life in general, but I was also talking about the game. And one of the last things that I, I said to the team before they played was no matter what happens on the field, if you get stuck on 40, don't quit. 41 will come. So they went up, they played the game, they won the game. But the craziest part of the story is the final score was 41 to 40. <laughs> so that's when, in fact, it was on the way home from that game. Because when we won that game, I was so excited that we were going to this championship that I didn't think about the score. I just, I, I was storming the field like everybody else. There were like 9,000 fans there and I was just running and finding guys and high-fiving them and, you know, yelling 41 came just as in, hey, we won. On the way home though, my friend says, man, I can't believe the, the score. And I'm like, I know, 41 to 40. And I'm like, I almost drove off the road. I'm like, oh man, this needs to be a book. <laughs> and, and here we are talking about it more than 15 years later. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, how does, I mean, 41 will come. It's going to be encouraging, obviously, to people. But, you know, it's kind of like sometimes you got people, like I used to be a psychiatric nurse, and uh, I didn't wear a skirt. You know, don't 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 picture that. That's a very bad mental picture. But I was that's what I'm picturing now. I'm sorry. I, I tried to cut it off, but I probably made it worse. But uh, you know, when I was it was like when you find people that are that are chronically depressed, right? You 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 have you know, you can't tell them like, hey, cheer up, a new day will come, you know. They're like, Yeah, you know, I just I, I you know, I hate living, I, I wanna die, that kind of thing. Well, when you're in the midst of the forty, right, even Moses said, God kill me now. I don't know if you remember that where he, he says to to God, Why do you hate me that you have <laughs> entrusted this people to me? And and I always think that would make the best topic for you know other than hitting yourself in the head with a hammer i make a great pastor's conference topic you get tons of people to your your workshop if you did it on that why do you hate me that you put this people with me but you know the the reality is when you're in the midst of the 40 it's painful it's hard and pep talks don't do it so what what do you say um to seemingly hopeless situations how do you deal with that when someone's just in the middle and and they just it's almost like they can't hear it. 
Sure. Um, the last chapter of the book is called When 41 Doesn't Come. Obviously, sometimes the cancer doesn't go away. Sometimes our friend doesn't make it. Sometimes our church doesn't survive. So what do we do in those moments determines what that 41 looks like. So, for, for example, I have a, uh, a family in my church that lost a daughter to suicide. And they could have allowed that to destroy them. And it almost did. And there were seasons of, of anger. There's still seasons of pain. They're started. I mean, two years later, their heart is still heavy. But they had a choice that they had to make. I mean, and before she passed away, it looked like she was going to make it. In fact, the, she, she overdosed on, on 300 aspirin. I went to the hospital about midnight that night, and she was joking around. Things were going better. It looked like she was going to snap out of it. I prayed with her. She cried. She was remor- remorseful and, and sorry for the, you know what she was putting her parents through. And it just looked like, hey, we're going to make it here. 41 will come, man. And then the next morning, I uh, next day I finished doing a wedding and got a text from him. And a text said we lost her brother, and um, I was shocked, and um, and he was shocked. Um, in that moment, you know, you know, what do you do? And he, um, this this father, almost allowed it to destroy him. But at some point, he said this. You know what? I can I can let this kill me or I can allow God to bring good from it. Just like Joseph said to his brothers, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And we know that God did not cause his daughter to die, but he had an opportunity to allow God to still get glory. And he decided to begin a ministry for family members who have lost someone to suicide. And that's what, what he did is called SOS survivors of suicide. And once a month, whether people attend our church or just live in the area, we have a group of anywhere from, you know, you know, eight, 12, 15 people that show up and grieve together. They cry together. They pray together. And now we have about eight families who attend our church regularly who have lost a child to suicide. And it's all because my friend Dan was willing to use his pain as a platform 41 didn't come the way he wanted to, but a new 41 revealed itself, and now he's running with that. That's good, man. That's really good. Well, you describe your role as a pastor as being a hope bringer, and in our culture today, um, there's a lot of bad news out there, and the yeah. church is seen often as the people who just make it worse, right? We just pour salt in it. Hey, the world sucks. You suck. And we're going to say a bunch of stuff that makes it suck even more. Like, we're going to say all the wrong stuff. Um, how do you see the role as being hope bringers as Christians into this current culture? Sure. Well, obviously, I, I go to the scripture, First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, where Peter says, we always need to be ready to give an answer about the hope that we have. So... We need to make sure that, especially as, as church planners, and, and not just church planners, just believers in general, if we're following Jesus, we should be the happiest people in the room. That doesn't mean we're happy about um, our season of loss and suffering or, or setback, but we can still choose joy in the midst of that. And there's, there's, there's hope in that. You know, we have, 
we have Christ. That means we know the end of the story. We win. We know that we're not alone. God is going to see us through. So we should be people of hope because we have the good news. No matter how much bad news is out there, we still have good news. We know someday there'll be no more pain, no more death, no more sadness, no more um, being stabbed in the back, no more times as a church planner driving to the edge of town pretending that we're leaving, right? We know that we have hope in our heart. So we just need to develop a mindset that regardless of how we feel and regardless of our circumstances, we have hope. And if Peter said we should always be ready to give an answer about the hope that we have, people should be able to see the hope by how we live. Absolutely. Well, that's really good, man. Really helpful. Guys, think about that. You know, I remember hearing a pastor years ago, guy I deeply respect, and that was his observation. He said, you know, I look around the world today. He was an old veteran preacher. And he said, the thing that I think people don't have a need more desperately than anything is hope, right? If, if, I mean, that's the gospel in a nutshell and it gives hope even to the worst sinner out there. It's, it's the possibility of hope. And, uh, and, you know, um, you know, just thanks for that, um, Chuck, cause, I remember reading of another uh, old Puritan minister who had trained many young people and they gathered around his deathbed and they asked him, what's the one thing that you would change, if anything? And he said, I would have preached God's love more than I did. And that has haunted me ever since. Wow. And your words definitely echo that. Um, and I think there's a lot of wisdom. You obviously have been through 40s of your own. And church planners out there listening to this, um, today, you're 41. Welcome. That has been the name of the book. The author has been Chuck Tate. You can get this book in places where fine Christian books are sold. <laughs> Such a cheesy thing to say, but you know, um, is there anywhere else, uh, that they can kind of connect with you, Chuck? I'm uh, sure. Well, the book's also available at um, any Barnes & Noble and then, of course, Amazon.com. But uh, if they'd like to connect with me personally, my website is ChuckETate.com. Like Chuck E. Cheese, but Chuck E. Tate. Dot com. <laughs> that is so cool, man. You need a singing animatronic of yourself. That would be so uh, cool. And we'll call it Five Night at Chucky's. We'll make a little video game. We'll be rich. This will be awesome. Uh, man, that's good stuff, Peyton. I like the way you think. <laughs> that, you know what? Unfortunately, I think in cartoons, uh, nonsense is my first spoken language, unfortunately. And you'll, you'll, you'll know that. We were talking about my book before this. You'll, you'll know if you ever read my book. It's pretty much spoken in 80s pop culture it's kind of uh, a oh I, I am in i i am writing it down <laughs> right now <laughs> so you know what we like to do kurt is i mean kurt i don't know why i suddenly called you kurt what was up with that chuck what we like to do <laughs> is we like to pit you against um people you know that uh th this is our question it's usually the question that um nobody else uh, kind of is ready. No one asks us on their podcast, but we ask it's our last question of the day. And, um, and you're a tough one because, you know, normally I can, if I got like someone on here who's like a reformed theologian, I can pit him against Keller. Um, if I, you know, so, so are you ready for the question? I just, I I'm have a to nervous, just, but yeah. Okay. Okay. So you mentioned Elevate Church. So if you and Stephen Furtick were to get into a fist fight, a physical fist fight, who would win? Ding, ding, ding. Come on. Let's smack talk begin. Let's go. Uh, 
He would kick my toe. Yeah. Would he really? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a fighter, Peyton. I'm a lover. No, um, I can kind of see well, that. You, you know, kind of got that vibe going on. I see it. Oh, man. I, I, would, I would probably go to punch him and then slap him and say, can I just have a hug? And, and that's actually a story in my book. Don't check it out. <laughs> oh, man. We can never uh, have another Crusades ever again because... There's yeah. too many people that are like, I'm a lover, you know, like this crusade plan I had is just not going to work. So, uh, can I say that? I can't say that, huh? That's not, I, I'm only teasing. I married into an Arabic family. So that's a, uh, now I'm getting all PC. Dang it. Dang you, Chuck Tate. Um, so Stephen Furtick, you and Stephen Furtick, uh, okay. So I get it. Yeah. And he's kind of, he's kind of beefy. Like he hits the gym a lot. And, uh, I'm looking at your picture. No, you, you don't look like you. <laughs> Just joking, Chuck. I, I can only <laughs> yeah, see your head. I know. I can only see your head. I can't see uh, your body. So, okay, well, you know what? That That's good. I'll take that. I'll take that. But I like that you at least threw a punch at Steven. That's kind of cool. Kind of rock and roll. <laughs> you, you, you made it go oh, and you man. tried, dang it. So, that works. Well, hey, now now that I've shocked my guest... <laughs> Into silence. <laughs> this has been hardcore church planning. My guest has been Chuck Tate, and the book is Forty One Will Come. Chuck, are you squirming there? One, one last thought. Sure, man. No, go ahead. Okay. All right. No, no. I was just gonna say if if you had, yeah, I heard you making noise, but you might have been still recoiling oh. from that oh. question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. All right. <laughs> Arnold. No, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Peyton. Hey, thanks for coming on, man. All right, Arnold, sign us out. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planting. Hardcore Church Planting has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back. 